Well, good morning, everyone. Today, we get to do something very exciting. We get to begin a new book of the Bible. And so please open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And as you're turning there, uh, you probably know by now that when we study the Bible together here on Sunday mornings, we do it in a very, should I say, simple and systematic way, which is that we take a portion of the text from a book of the Bible, and depending on the pace at which we choose to go through it, we just simply go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, until we finish a book. And then we start another book. And so that's what we get to do today, start a new book. And in time, as we do this, as we faithfully teach and preach God's word, both in season and out of season, uh, we'll be able to say what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What that means is that when you just teach through the word of God, you're going to get it all. You're going to get everything that God wants to have his people know that is revealed in scripture. So with that, um, you know, our most recent studies like Philippians and James and Thessalonians, we decided to go through those books pretty quick. Um, you know, props to the home group leaders who led through chapter four of Philippians. It was like three sermons packed into one, right? And by the way, let's just give a thank you again to all the home group leaders. And with home groups being finished and this new season ahead of us, what we're sensing as we begin the book of Hebrews is that we want to go through it at a little bit of a slower pace. And so by looking at it, this book is 13 chapters long. And we're thinking that it's going to take us through the rest of this year and into early next year, so about six months. And so be ready for that. And if you have studied the book of Hebrews before, or if you haven't, I think what you're going to discover is that it has a depth of truth that is unlike any other New Testament book. I mean, just to put it simply, <laughs> this book is epic. Like, it's just awesome. There's no other way to say it because it just reveals Jesus. And I believe that through the book of Hebrews, we're going to draw closer and closer to him because of it. So with that, I hope you already have your Bible turned to Hebrews chapter 1. You're going to want to follow along with me as we're going through the Bible because um, we do put the verses up on the screen. But I want you guys to have your own Bible that you can bring to church. And if you don't have a Bible to call your own, we would be happy to give you one. Just come and see me, and we've got some ready to give away. So with that, let's do it. You guys ready? All right. And Johnny, my microphone just feels a little hot, if you could pull me down. Thank you, brother. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 1, we're going to go to verse 4. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Wow. <laughs> right? I told you this book is awesome. 
So let's dive into it. The writer of Hebrews starts in verse 1 by saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So right there in one sentence, the writer of this letter is referencing pretty much the entire Old Testament. And so just right off the bat, what we're seeing here, you'll first notice that this letter begins in a way that's unlike any other letter of the New Testament. If you've been with us, perhaps when we've been studying the letters of Paul, like Philippians or Thessalonians or Peter's letters, like First and Second Peter, what you'll notice is in each of those letters, the apostles will introduce themselves as the ones writing the letter, and then they'll state who the letter is being written to. And then after that, they may go into a short greeting, something along the lines of grace and peace to you and God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they just get into the subject of the letter. Well, I'm sure you notice that Hebrews doesn't start out that way. It it just dives right into the deep end by quickly referencing what is pretty much the entirety of Jewish history. And then in a very concise and potent way, It describes Jesus to us, Jesus, the Son of God, using some of the most beautiful and majestic language possible. But perhaps you're wondering today, well, then who wrote the book of Hebrews? And who is the book of Hebrews written to? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews is none other than the writer of the book of Hebrews. The point is, is we don't know who wrote this letter because it doesn't say. And now you are totally free to come and talk to me and tell me your theories as to who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, There are about thousands of different commentaries with different views as to who wrote it. Some views are stated more passionately than others. Like there's those who insist that it was the Apostle Paul and they go into all of the Pauline characteristics of the letter. Uh, Others have suggested that perhaps Barnabas wrote it, or uh, a man mentioned in the book of Acts by the name of Apollos, or even that Luke wrote it, who was the writer of the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Some have even suggested that it was written by a husband and wife uh, couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were uh, church leaders and missionaries there in the early church. Now, I, I personally don't have a strong position about who the writer is, except to say that I don't know for sure. And I don't think that anyone can know for sure. And I've got my opinions. We can geek out about this stuff together if you want. But you don't come here to hear my opinions, do you? You come here to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God does, doesn't say who the writer is because the Holy Spirit just decided not to show us that. But here's what we can know for sure. What we can know for sure is that the book of Hebrews does have an author, and that God is its author, because we have an understanding that the entire Bible is God-breathed. The Bible, which includes 66 books, one of them being the letter to the Hebrews, is God-breathed. It means that these verses that we're reading, testifying of the inherent power and authority, which is the word of God. And so we can say, God wrote Hebrews. But then that leaves us with one more question, which is, well, then who is Hebrews written to? 
And, and there we can see just right in the title of the epistle that it was written to the Hebrews. Now, let me explain this in a way that maybe you'll understand, which is just as in talking about Hebrews, I've used the words letter and book and epistle interchangeably, and they're all essentially referring to the same thing, which is that the library of scriptures, right? But, but so it is with this word Hebrew. A Hebrew is a Jew. A Hebrew is an Israelite. A Hebrew is a child of Abraham. These words essentially are all referring to the same thing, but just with different nuances. And so the Hebrews are God's chosen people, the Jews, a particular race of people that God has made a covenant with, and they are people that God spoke to long ago at many different times and in many different ways. God spoke to the Hebrew fathers by the prophets of Israel. And this is recorded for us in what we call the Old Testament, which is the first 39 books of the Bible. And so if you want to get a good and thorough lesson on who the Hebrews are, go read the first 39 books of the Bible and you'll find out. Now, what I've done here, which is I've taken the time to explain this for a reason. And the reason is, is that I conjecture that many of us in this room are not Jewish. I was saying about my brother Benkai over here, took a DNA test some years ago and found out that he is half Jewish. Um, but many of us are probably not Jewish and many of us are Gentiles. And, and Gentile is a word that the Bible uses to refer to all non-Hebrew people. So there's the Jews and then there's everyone else, right? And because of that, as we come into the book of Hebrews as people who have been mostly influenced by Gentile ways of thinking, what we're going to have to do is come into this book being ready to think about things from a Jewish perspective. Because look, we're going to be talking about things in this book that happened long ago. We will refer to the many times and many ways that God spoke by prophets. We'll learn about the Hebrew fathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to learn about this really interesting dude in the Bible, a guy by the name of Melchizedek. We're going to talk about animal sacrifices and blood and covenants and angels and therefore, what we need is to have a good working understanding of the Old Testament if we, want to have, if we really want to grasp the fullness of what Hebrews is all about. And so I'm going to ask you to please pray for me. Pray for this little Gentile mind of mine to study and read the scriptures and to pray uh, and to be able to rightly divide God's word. And I'm going to be praying for you, for your minds and for your hearts and for your souls, that you would be able to grasp all the fullness of what Hebrews is telling us about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now, this does not mean that the book is not for us, even though it was written to early Jewish Christians, Jewish men and women who had come to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. And so again, what we've talked about so far is who ultimately wrote this book? 
God. And who is this book ultimately for? God's people. And who are God's people? Well, the scriptures reveal both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews first and then the Greeks. But all people, because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. He has become the savior of all of mankind. And so with that background on this book, such as who wrote it, who it was written to, which it really, to be honest, only scratches the surface in terms of introductions. And again, all of this might be interesting to you. You wish I gave more of this background. But here's the thing, is that I don't want to lose us today in all of that information. Because if there's one thing that this book the book of Hebrews is all about. If there's just one single thing, the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. Jesus is the heir of all things, through whom also God created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is what this book is about. The writer couldn't even get into the first sentences without just powerfully declaring to us who this Jesus is. And so as we go through this book, what we're going to see is the gloriousness, the greatness, the superiority, the splendor, the radiance, the authority, the excellence, the power, the majesty, and just the sheer awesomeness of the one who is named Jesus, the Son of God. Amen? And even when I say all those words, and even when I read these words that the writer uses, it's as if there's just a compounding of words and language, one on top of the other, where it doesn't even quite get to say how amazing Jesus is. There's, there's no amount of words in Hebrew or Greek or Latin or English to describe the one who came from heaven to earth nearly 2,000 years ago who spoke to all of mankind in these last days. God has spoken, and he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you heard that voice? Have you heard him speak to you? Because from the time when the first man was created, Adam, up to the time when Jesus, who is called the second Adam, came, God spoke at many times and in many different ways. He spoke with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He spoke to mankind through his creation and through his invisible attributes. He spoke through human conscience and through called prophets. He spoke to the Jewish fathers, including Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush, to Balaam through a donkey, and to Jonah inside the belly of a fish. 
And to many others, God spoke either by prophets or by angels or by dreams or even by audible voices. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews says, God has spoken to us by his son. And I want to remind you that those words, the last days, refers to that time period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, which means that we're currently living in the last days. And these days started when Jesus, who is God, became a living human being. And the recipients of this letter were well acquainted with that historical fact. This letter was written during the first few generations after Jesus had walked the earth. And look, these people, these Hebrews, there was no question in their hearts and minds as to the existence of God. They, they were Jews. They, they, they had no problem believing that God is real. And neither did they have question as to the existence of a man named Jesus. There was a man who had lived in the Galilee region of Israel in their recent history. This was written around the time uh, 60 AD, which means that just one generation prior, 30 years back, Jesus had walked the earth. It was, it was not a long time ago that these people had heard a man named Jesus walking about, teaching and preaching and doing mighty miracles in the name of God, who ultimately came to the end of his life by dying by Ruth. Uh, by Roman crucifixion, and then it was testified by many witnesses in many proofs that he rose from the dead. And the Hebrews had no question about the existence of God, the God of their fathers. They had no question about the existence of the man, Jesus of Nazareth. But some of the Jews did have questions about if this man, Jesus, was in fact God. That's what this book's about. This book is seeking to show us, the writer is seeking to show us that Jesus is God and he is the one to whom we must look to and the one whom we must listen to if we want to receive God's salvation. In these last days, as today, my friends, God has spoken and he's spoken by his son and the father has said, Listen to Jesus. Jesus spoke many words. He spoke words like repent, believe, follow me, deny yourself, arise, go your way. He spoke in parables, prophecies, prayers, and he spoke with real people because he was a real person. His words and his works are written down in the pages of Scripture in four books that we call the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have you read them? Because just as much as the book of Hebrews is going to require us to have a working understanding of the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews is going to require that we have a working understanding of the Gospels. The entire Bible all 66 books, from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, and from Matthew to Revelation in the New Testament, all bear one common theme, and it is Jesus. And so for the rest of our time this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're only going to talk about Jesus. 
No more background about the book. No more talking about Jews and Gentiles and the differences between that. But, but here's what I will say before we go on to only talking about Jesus is this. Is that I'm going to give you a challenge. You guys like challenges? You up for a challenge? All right. If you want to make the next six months of our study of the, best, uh, of the book of Hebrews the best that it can possibly be for you, just where it would just absolutely transform your heart and mind, I'm going to challenge you to something, and it is this. As we go through the book of Hebrews, which is going to take about six months, would you read the entire Bible in six months? And you're thinking, oh my goodness. It's a big book. What is that like? Size 10 font? Right? It is a big book. But as, you know, when I discovered Jesus as my Lord and Savior at 17 years old, I remember at about 19 years old, I realized something. If I'm going to devote my entire life to following this Jesus, I should probably read what is written in this book. Like I should probably read all of it because God has something to say here. And I remember when I read through the Bible for the first time, which took me one year to do, and I'm telling you to do it in six months. And I, I'm also going to do it, by the way, uh, if I'm going to call you to this challenge, I'm going to do it myself. But here's the thing. If you, you know, you might be like, oh man, but I'm, I don't ever read. You know, I'm not a good reader. Just figure out a way to get the Bible in over six months, okay? But did you know this? That if you read at an average pace, and you're like, well, pastor, I don't read at an average pace. I'm a pretty slow reader. But, but let's just say, if you read at an average pace, about the pace that I'm speaking right now, did you know that the entire Bible only takes 72 hours to read? 72 hours to read the entire Bible. That is only three days out of your next six months. And I encourage you to do this because of this. And this isn't some guilt trip. This isn't something where it's like, oh my goodness, you know, making me, you know, it's like, but I just got to encourage you in this because I don't know of any better way for a person to become acquainted with who Jesus is and with what Jesus has done for you, than to read his word. The entire Bible is all about Jesus, and so if you read it, you can know him, and you can experience a growing relationship with him. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to grow, if you want to develop in your understanding of who God is and in your walk with God, then read this book and live it and love it and enjoy it. As God said to the prophet Ezekiel, as well as to John the apostle, he said, eat this book. Eat it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. There's just something, my friends, I don't know any other way to say it than if you want to hear God speak to you, read the Bible. Don't you want to have God speak to you? 
I think everybody does want God to speak to you. And for the writer of Hebrews, it is a given that God speaks. He's spoken by the prophets, which is recorded in the Old Testament. And in these last days, he has spoken by his son, which is recorded in the New Testament. God does speak to his people today. And he even does speak by the Holy Spirit, we know. But let me just say something, because let's, let's make no mistake. The voice of God sounds like the word of God. And so if you think that you've heard from God, but if it does not align with what is written in this book, you have not heard from God, my friends. God has spoken, and he has chosen for his words to be recorded in a book. And we don't read the scriptures because in, in them, in these pages, we think we find eternal life. But we actually read this book because we believe that they testify about Jesus, who is himself the word and eternal life. All right, that's it. That's the challenge. And so for the remainder of our time this morning, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of our time. I'm only going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to see from verses 2 through 4, seven amazing truths about Jesus. Number one, Jesus has been appointed as the heir of all things. Number two, through Jesus, the world was created. Number three, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. Number four, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Number five, Jesus made purification for sins. Number six, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Number seven, Jesus has become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So first we see that Jesus was appointed to be the heir of all things. You know, what the writer of Hebrews is acknowledging is a simple fact that God exists. He takes no time to make an argument for the existence of God. He just gets right into it saying that there is a God in heaven who made everything that exists and that if he made it all, then it all belongs to him. And he made the earth And he made all that dwells on the earth, both water and sky, plants and trees, animals and insects. God made everything, but especially God made you and he made me. God created human beings. And throughout this book, the writer is going to declare that our God is a creator and that he is one, but that he consists in three distinct persons. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together at creation, as we read in Genesis, we see in that plural form where God says, let us make man in our image. And man was created. And the relationship that is expressed here between God is that of a father and of a son. And this is something that we know quite well of, right? That God has this sort of family relationship. And in any family relationship, what you have is you have everything that belongs to that family, The houses and the cars and the money and the clothing and everything that belongs to the family is that family. Now, we know that generations will pass their belongings to another when someone departs, and we call this an inheritance. An inheritance is given to the heir, and the idea of this language that's being expressed here is that of a relationship between God, that he is like a father and a son. 
where the father has all possessions, but that he has given all things to his son, and everything is his. Everything belongs to Jesus. He has the authority and the ownership of it. Now, without going too much into it, I want you to understand that when you become a child of God, the Bible says that you actually become a co-heir with Christ. That means that all things in Jesus Christ is yours. This is drawing very much off of the Hebrew way of thinking, which is that as you look through the Old Testament, you'll be fascinated to see how fathers passed things down to their sons and how they, they, they did this in a very interesting way of firstborn priority. And, and Colossians picks up on this idea spiritually, and it's fascinating stuff. So there's more to come on this throughout the book of Hebrews. But secondly, the writer says that through Jesus, the world was created. Now, this truth about Jesus, that, that the world was created through him, cancels out the idea that Jesus is a created being. There are many religious cults in these last days that will teach that Jesus is not God. They will say, look, it says there, he's, he's the heir and the firstborn. Like, he's got priority, but he's not God. Uh, or or they say, no, no, look, he's an angel where they don't acknowledge what Hebrews chapter 1 is all about, saying that he's not an angel, that he is God. Angels are created beings, and, and again, the writer is simply acknowledging here, God is one. But that together, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are co-equal, co-eternal, uncreated beings. And they created everything. And the word used here for world, that, they, that Jesus created the world or worlds, is a technical term that doesn't just speak about how God created, you know, earth, and then he sort of just steps back and is uninvolved. That would be deism. But that he created rather the ages, the epochs of time. That, that what was and what is and what is to come Jesus created it. He created everything throughout all time, throughout all realms. Jesus created everything, and he also sustains everything because he's intimately involved with his creation. And before we get into Jesus sustaining all things, if, if we've seen so far that he's the heir of all things and that he created all things, this means that Jesus was uncreated. It's telling us something about the nature of Jesus. It's telling us Jesus is God. And this is how the writer of Hebrews expresses that in this next part, where he says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This tells us that Jesus is of the same glory, the same essence, the same radiance as God because he is God. That word radiance is the idea of light that emanates from a source. Again, this is rooted in ancient Jewish thinking, and the Jews knew that in the sky there was that great source of light that God created called the sun, and it's the same sun that's in our sky today, and they understood that no one can stare into the sun and see the sun, and in the same way, no one can see God, the Father, that is, but we can see the radiance of the sun, can't we? The light that emanates from it. And so this glorious 
source of light cannot be seen, but the effulgence of it can be seen. And this means that in the same way that no one can see the Father because he's invisible, but in Jesus we have seen the Father's glory because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. One of the disciples asked Jesus one day, he said, you know, Jesus, show us the Father. It'd be pretty rad. You know, show us the Father and it'll be all good for us. And in John 14, 9, Jesus responded back to Philip. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Do you know what this is saying? We can see God. God has been seen because God became visible to the human eye in the person of Jesus Christ and by his radiant life we have seen the glory of the Father. John the Apostle more than anyone I I think speaks to this the best, both in his gospel and in his first epistle. In his first epistle he says I handled with my hands concerning the word of life. He's saying, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. I felt him. I heard him speak. Jesus, who is God. And then in John chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the light of the glory of God. And how he came and just radiated the love of the Father upon us. And, and how we have beheld the glory of the glory as of the only begotten Son who is full of grace and truth. We have seen God because Jesus has revealed him to us. And then there's a part there in verse 3 where it says Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And this is the same idea just expressed in another way. You can say that Jesus is like the carbon copy of the Father. Now, any sort of illustration is going to fall short of what this exactly means because we're not talking about Jesus being a duplicate or a replica. We're actually talking about Jesus being the same. And so, do you want to know what God is like? I mean, I think everyone wants to know, what is God like? What's his personality? What is his character? What are his attributes? In a profound way, The Bible shows that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels and see how he lived and how he acted and how he talked and how he walked and how he felt and see Jesus in the Gospels because he is the exact representation of God the Father's character. Look, I think this is a real serious error that people sometimes make. It's, in fact, some, an error that I have made at different points in my own heart and mind in thinking about God. A lot of times people make this serious error when they think that Jesus is a nicer version of God. <laughs> like, like the son's trying to talk his dad off a ledge because the dad's going to pour out his wrath unless the son says, no, 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 dad, don't do it, you know? And not at all. What what we see is that what we have seen in Jesus, you have seen in the Father, and what you've seen in the Father, you've seen in Jesus. And so if you say you know God, 
but you don't know Jesus as God, you know squat. And it also means that unless you know God through Jesus Christ, um, you just don't know God. That goes for Jews and Gentiles. You'll never know God until you know Jesus because Jesus has revealed God to us. And the writer then goes on to say in verse 3, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So right now, even as I speak, Jesus is sustaining all of creation. Everything is working in the world right now as we know it because Jesus is speaking. And this should humble us to submit to his truth. Because if Jesus says the word stop, things will stop. If Jesus says the word start, things will start. He upholds the universe, the sun and the moon and the stars all heed his word. And this just goes along with the truth that Jesus, the son of God, is the one that we must answer to. If he holds the universe in his hands, what about you? So as you read the gospel, what you'll see is the authority of Jesus speaking. Even just with one word, storms were calmed. By speaking one word, the sick were healed and the demon were cast out. He would just say, follow me, and people would drop everything and follow him. Why? Because Jesus has the words of eternal life. One of my favorite moments in John's gospel where it says that there were some disciples who no longer walked with Jesus because the things that he was saying were too hard. Like, this stuff's too intense. You kind of may be listening to me and thinking, you know, this guy's kind of intense here, you know, talking about Jesus. And, and, he's, and they're like, you know, they're saying, you know, these things are too hard. We're, we're going to dip out. We're leaving. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to leave too? Because you can go. I love what Peter said to Jesus. He said, but Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yeah, these, these things we're reading, these things we're talking about, these are like, these are big things we're, because we're talking about a big God, the creator of the universe. But the fact is that this big God, the creator of the universe, in these first four attributes, we've seen his eternal nature, but he didn't stay in that eternal realm. He came to our realm. He came to earth and lived as a man. And so in these next three attributes, we're going to see Jesus in his humanity. Because it says next that Jesus made purification for sins. And I can't go too much into it today for sake of time, even though I so want to. But the book of Hebrews is going to speak thoroughly into this fact that Jesus has made purification for sins. Because sin is what separates us from a holy God. And the Hebrews knew this. And they knew it because they had received very specific ceremonial laws for the purification of sins. And this involved blood from animal sacrifices, something we'll talk about in this book. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. We'll see later in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, where he'll say, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, 
there is no forgiveness of sins. And so what we'll see throughout the book of Hebrews is that the crowning achievement of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is that he laid down his life in sacrifice to die on a cross by the shedding of his pure blood and the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. He has made atonement for sins, for my sins and for your sins. Do you believe this? Is this to you the only means by which you must be saved? Because the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you dismiss this, if you look elsewhere other than the blood of Jesus, you may have failed to enter into salvation. This is really important. That Jesus made purification for sins. And I pray that if you don't already know it, that you would know that Jesus died to purify your sins. And I pray that you would experience for yourself the forgiveness of sins, a truth that is huge in this book. Because for Jesus, he is who he is because he died on a cross for you. And he rose again to defeat sin, death, and the devil once and for all so that you can live eternally with him. See, we know that when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead, but that he appeared to over 500 witnesses at one time, and with many proofs, he showed himself to be alive. And he was on the earth for 40 days until he ascended back to heaven, which kicked off the last days. And in these last days, as we eagerly await the second coming of Jesus, where's Jesus right now? The Bible says that he's enthroned in the heavens, and the writer tells us this when he says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And saying that Jesus sat down, what the writer is expressing is that Jesus' work is complete. It's finished. It's paid in full. He made purification for sins. He dealt with it once and for all, claiming the victory, and he ascended to the Father so that he could send the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is at work testifying to you today even that Jesus is God and he loves you. And Hebrews chapter 7 tells us what Jesus is currently doing right now, which is that he lives to make intercession for us, meaning that Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is talking to his father about you. He's praying for you. And this language of the right hand of the majesty on high is also from a Jewish mindset because the Jews were ruled over by kings in their history. We'll learn about how Jesus is the son of David, but that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that his throne is eternal and his kingdom is everlasting. And he's sitting right now in heaven in absolute sovereign control and confidence. So have you bowed down and have you worshiped him for who he is? Because today we'll have that opportunity as we get into worship. But before we get into worship, we got one more truth about Jesus that will lead us into next week, where we're going to learn about angels. Because this again affirms that Jesus is God. He's not an angel. The error that Jesus is an angel has unfortunately been taught and believed by many. 
But if Jesus is the appointed heir of all things, and through him the world was created, if Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, if Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power, and if Jesus made purification for sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, then verse 4 becomes quite obvious in that Jesus has become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Come back next Sunday as we talk about how Jesus is better than the angels. That even though he was made a man, which is to be a little lower than the angels, Jesus did not diminish in any of his deity. Angels serve God, and Jesus is God. Angels served Jesus when they gave the name to Mary and Joseph. Angels served Jesus at the announcement of his resurrection. Angels served Jesus when the disciples were staring off into heaven at the ascension, and they said, get about, (laughs) he'll come in the same way, but get about the Great Commission, go on. Like I said, come back next week if you want to learn about Jesus being better than angels. So that's it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome the worship team to come on up. As we end here today, we've got a fire hose about who Jesus is. And I pray it blessed you and encouraged you. You know, many have described the main point of Hebrews in this way, which is that Jesus is better. And he is. He's better than anything. Based on what you've heard about Jesus this morning, isn't it true? Jesus is so much better. We've seen today that he's the heir, the creator, sustainer, savior, king, and lord of all. His name is Jesus. There's no sweeter name than the name of Jesus. Can't wait as we go through this book together to draw near to him more and more. I know for me in my life, My whole pursuit in this life is to know Jesus more and more. And and I was just so deeply encouraged by Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, just to remind myself about this Jesus. Pray it encourages you. And I pray that if today is the day that you would say, I didn't know this about Jesus. I didn't know that he is God. I didn't know that he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross and raise again to save me from my sins. And today this sounds like really good news to you. It is. And today if you look to Jesus, if by hearing his word faith has come and you want to look to Jesus for salvation, you can. The Father has said about Jesus, even as he radiated in the transfiguration in the gospels, he said, this is my son, Listen to him. Jesus has been explained to you today. Jesus has been revealed to you from the scriptures. And today you can call upon his name and you will be saved. You can hear his voice speak to you and say, come, follow me. And as we journey through the book of Hebrews together, you'll discover more and more this lovely relationship with Jesus. Amen. For all of us who already know him and even for those who want to begin knowing him today, let's all stand up because I think in response to this, there's nothing we can do 
better than just to crown him with praise, to worship him, because Jesus is worthy, isn't he? Amen? Jesus is worthy. Amen.